Welcome to ADHD Flourishing, about living awesomely with autism and ADHD. You deserve recognition for both the challenges and the superpowers of this unique neurotype. Let's celebrate wisdom and support from real-life stories, and talk strategies to manage the difficulties of day-to-day life, so we can move beyond that to thriving and building a sustainable and awesome life. If you want to be here, you are accepted here, and you belong. I'm your ADHD host, Mattia Murray. Let's do this. There are three common concerns I hear over and over from ADHD community. And so unsurprisingly, there are often things clients bring up, whether or not we're directly working on them. And helping clients with these issues have also really helped me with them because all of them are lifelong concerns for me as well. And I think these three concerns are true in some form for many ADHD folks. This might end up being a long episode if I get through all the notes I jotted down, but in my head, it's all related and it tells this bigger story. The personal examples are a big part of that. Here are the three concerns, and then I'll add some context, and then I'll go through each one in more detail. One, they don't see a clear pathway from what they love or are good at to making enough money. Two, Strong ethics and values make it difficult to imagine a sustainable life, i.e. making enough money to let things be easier. And three, undervaluing the things that are easy for them while feeling a lot of guilt or shame about struggling with the things that are hard for them. I've heard all three of these in some form from many, if not most, ADHD folks I've talked to. I don't assume that they're ADHD specific, but... I think we have some unique needs around resolving them. For example, there's lots of great anti-capitalist stuff out there, but for me, it doesn't necessarily help me resolve the real-life question around my ethics and making money in a way that aligns with my values. To add some context, I'll be talking about these in part from the creative and entrepreneurial side, since that's a lot of what I think about and work with, but I think all of them come up for ADHD folks in more traditional jobs or trying to make life work on meager disability payments, or who are receiving significant support. In other words, these are broadly applicable, and I welcome you to think about it in the terms that make sense for your own situation. These are not just creative or entrepreneurial concerns, even though that's where I have the most specific examples. And I'll also be talking about some specific examples from my own life, as usual, to give you something concrete. At the end, I want to pull all of this together with a picture of how it looks in my life right now. The intention is that it's somewhat inspiring and helps you feel empowered to move towards something that works for you with more sense of clarity and purpose. Though I'm also going to be sharing things like how I made less money in 2023 and how that reflects a lot of what I'm hearing from small business folks. So it's definitely not all pure rah-rah onwards and upwards because all organic growth has cycles and ebbs and flows, and that's okay. So jumping into this first big concern, I hear a lot from people and that I really identify with as well, not seeing a clear pathway from what we love or are good at to making enough money. There are a lot of reasons this can happen, not just lack of education, but specifically not getting the mentorship or explanations we need in order to take the key actions we need to take (laughs) to build a career. This was me in grad school with my teacher who was awesome for composing music, but didn't really help me with the career building side of things at all. And I needed to know 
not just what was useful, but why and help getting started with it. Another common reason we have trouble imagining a clear pathway is because we are just way too talented and have way too many interests. I'm saying this in a silly way, but if you're like this, you know what I mean. ADHD brains are often really good at hyperfocus or flow, deep diving into a topic, and reaching a moderate professional level really quickly. We can often come across as having a much higher level of expertise in something we've only been reading about or playing with for a few weeks or a few months. And by the way, this just increases over time, in my experience, especially if you tend to change careers or hobbies often. We just keep gathering skills and gathering knowledge, and it can be really difficult to parse apart which of them are worth pursuing in a longer pathway that might actually be sustainable. Many ADHD folks are under-earning because of frequent career switching and often being in entry-level positions and not getting that career capital over time. This is a huge topic of its own that I don't think needs to be solved by simply sticking with a career you're not happy with. But again, it's part of this broader concern I hear a lot of, having trouble even imagining a clear pathway to solid income, let alone actually taking all of the steps and then sticking with it once you get there. It's a really tough and personalized problem, and it can be hard to find useful resources around it. Using my own life as an example, I have bought way too many courses that promised to help me figure this particular problem out. To me, it felt like this core issue that I really wanted to solve. They say they can help me narrow down to what I love most or create one big meta career that combines elements of various things I love most or capitalize on one area enough to cover the rest as hobbies. I've also read books on this topic about multi-passionate people. Possibly the most helpful one to me personally was The Art of Impossible by Stephen Kotler, even though it didn't ultimately help me solve this particular problem. What would happen when I got into these courses is that when the poor unsuspecting coach or teacher actually heard my list of things I am genuinely good at and want to do on a regular basis, they would just blanch. I've literally seen people grow pale when I start talking about what I'm capable of. I'm not sure what exactly is draining the blood out of their face, but suffice to say, none of them has actually been able to help me. It's one reason I'm so passionate about helping people like me because I so vividly remember the disappointment time and time again of a teacher or coach realizing that they weren't quite sure how to help someone like me. Another thing I want to share about is that while I technically have built a form of sustainable career at this point, there are two problems that are still present for me on the money front. The first is that my partner wants to ideally quit tech permanently and do music and food-related career stuff, and they'd like to take a sabbatical of sorts in which they explore that and presumably make no money. I'm not currently making enough to afford good health insurance for both of us on the open market, and I'll talk more about this in the ethics question, but I'm not willing to just keep charging more and more money per hour to my own community, so we're figuring out what that needs to look like. The other personal thing I'll share on this front is that from what I've heard, it's the norm for small businesses to have made less money in 2023. I know a lot of small business owners are struggling right now, including folks in my circle who are quote, giving up temporarily or permanently. Though side note, I don't at all think that taking additional or outside work is giving up. In 2023, I made the least money I've made in my business since starting it in 2020. It actually started somewhat intentionally because 
I took a step back from selling to reassess some things and to deliver great service to existing clients. I reorganized a lot of things and experimented with different things, especially because at the beginning of the year, I became a board certified hypnotherapist and I was trying to figure out whether I wanted to significantly shift my practice to largely hypnosis and other body-based modalities I'm trained in, or if I still wanted the more talking-based coaching side. I had to experiment a bit and see what worked for clients as well as what was motivating to me. And I'm still thinking about that. That's not like an answer I've reached, but I did kind of, you know, get to this balance with it. Another factor was that my PDA and just regular demand avoidance were kicking in big time around a bunch of marketing, especially social media marketing. It was again, in part an ethics thing. It was in part just not liking my own experience on social media or receiving some kinds of marketing as a consumer. I felt like a lot of it was just becoming noise for me and I didn't want to contribute to the noise. Well, it turns out that if you more or less stop marketing, if you have a good foundation, it won't look like anything is happening for a while. I was still getting great referrals and such. And then after a few months, I was like, oh, whoops, I did, in fact, have to tell people that they can buy things from me and give them the option to do so. It doesn't just magically happen. This was all more or less in the first half of 2023. And on top of that, I had yet another huge existential crisis about what money even is, what it means to make money, the ravages of capitalism, etc. I'll get that to that again in the ethics section next. Oh, and as a part of that, I started giving out scholarships like candy, and while that felt really good for my soul, it was really not sustainable. P.S. If you're listening and got one of those scholarships, I love you and please don't feel bad. It was my choice and it was an important learning time for me. I got something from that. So all of that together, lots of small businesses struggling due to larger economic factors, my own personal choices and internal conflict and not wanting to market and taking a step back to do some larger reorganizing and experimenting. In 2023, my business made about half what it did in 2022. Again, some of that was intentional, but when I realized halfway through the year what was happening numerically and intentionally wanted to change it, it wasn't just about flipping a switch because of all the changes I'd been making. I kind of had to rebuild some things from the ground up. If you're a freelancer, contractor, small business person, etc., who struggled financially in 2023, I just want to say that from what I've heard, that was the majority of us for all kinds of reasons. I do need to touch on one more piece of all of this for me in imagining my own future because... For the past year, I haven't spent that much time composing. I did finish one commission and made progress on another large piece, so this is in part me downplaying my own work because I'm used to composing so much. But even when I made the time for it, my monotropic brain was more focused on the business and clients because I think about my clients a lot and how I can help them better. So part of what I'm still figuring out and building is what kind of space my brain needs to compose larger pieces because I have said yes to a huge composition project that will kick into gear at some point here. Okay, let's move on to the second big concern I hear from a lot of ADHD folks. Strong ethics and values make it difficult to imagine a sustainable life, i.e. making enough money to let things be easier. I added that last part on purpose because sustainable means a lot of different things. My own brain, especially growing up in poverty, has this interesting set of ideas about what constitutes enough. In my brain, it definitely does not mean enough money to let things be easy. Like, for example, to be able to pay for a cab when I'm tired rather than walking. 
So whatever that means for you, I really like this idea of letting things be easier and figuring out what we need to support that. Especially letting it be easier for our disabilities, both physical disabilities and the ways that our neurotype can be disabling in the context of society. For example, it would have been super cool if my day job had covered some of those courses I took as professional development, even though they weren't directly for that job, they were helping my brain as a neurodivergent person. Something I really want to say is that I don't think our strong ethics are a problem, and they're not just about fixing our quote money mindset. That said, I do see some specific concerns around this in myself that sometimes come down to black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking, and I have had to work with those to expand my capacity to feel safe. Those include the urge to give away money immediately, feeling guilty for having enough to let things be easier, not wanting to ask anyone for help or money, feeling like shit when receiving help or money, believing that money is hard and difficult or even impossible to figure out, and thus, I just can't figure out complicated things like investing and interest and saving, and it's easier to just give up ahead of time. And while yes, those are things that are covered in money mindset work, and I've found some of that helpful, I also found that they usually were not addressing my core ethical concerns. There are very real dynamics in the world around all of this that are not going to be solved by any amount of positive thinking on my part. This is something I've heard from other neurodivergent folks navigating this as well. We recognize that it's worth changing some of our perspectives, or at least being open to different ways of thinking. It's a way of potentially working with some of the tendencies toward black and white thinking. But at the same time, not discounting the real factors in the world that create these situations. I like to be open to changing my perspective, and I don't think this is just about reframing my thoughts. Even if you didn't grow up poor, a lot of ADHD folks are just more aware of inequity and bothered by it. While I didn't grow up with much information about income inequality and how it's affected by other intersectional identities, as soon as I learned about it, I was all in on wanting to help. Something I've heard from just about every ADHD person I know well is that at some point they feel a huge ethical quandary around their work in the world. Again, I think that's the norm for our neurotype rather than a unique or alienating experience. We all go through it, usually multiple times. We go through it when we're struggling, and we go through it again when we achieve some amount of success. Again, I don't think that's a problem, but if it actively prevents us from having an okay life, I want to figure out how to work with it so it doesn't keep us stuck. So back to January 2023 in my story, when I had a full-on existential quandary about what money even is, what it means to be selling and marketing and making money, and what an awful vortex late-stage toxic capitalism feels like. A big part of this was the idea that no matter how good I get at what I do, I'm not willing to just keep charging more and more money to my own community. I don't think it's a good thing when I hear people bragging about charging $1,000 or more an hour. Sure, I'd love to be worth that much in the sense of helping people that much, but even if rich ADHD people wanted to pay me that much, I can't imagine feeling good about that in terms of my own values and ethics. And by the way, I don't want to make anyone feel bad about any particular numbers, which is why I'm mostly not using specific numbers in this episode. I threw out that $1,000 an hour one because I've heard it bandied about and it doesn't sit right with me in the context in which I heard it. But if you're listening and are charging that much and feel great about it, good for you. Truly, this is just about me and my own 
internal journey and experience at this time. While I don't have a big solution around this because I'm very much still in the process, one direction I've gone is to develop a corporate training around burnout and how to move from burnout risks toward flourishing. I co-developed it with an amazing queer neurodivergent friend and colleague, and we're really proud of it. It's not neurodivergent specific, but obviously it's deeply neurodivergence informed, and I kind of see it as a way to sneak good neurodivergent affirming practices into businesses. If you know of an organization that would be interested, we have a pretty PDF brochure thingy I can send you if you email me at mattia at mattiamaray.com or the contact link in the show notes on the ADHD Flourishing website. Back to ethics and values and how I hear this show up for ADHD folks all the time. It's totally fine that we're asking these questions and considering the implications of our involvement in complex systems. Where it starts to feel like a more personal problem is when we can't even imagine how to shoehorn that into a sustainable life. Of course, added to the first big concern around having trouble imagining how your interests and talents fit into this, it can start to feel like a huge and unsolvable problem. And this combo is one of the big questions people ask me most often. How do I build a sustainable financial life that includes some of my interests and meets my ethical standards? I mean, people don't say it quite like that, but that's the underlying question I hear versions of all the time. So while I found some solutions in my own particular life, such as creating a bunch of free content through this podcast and the related website and blog of resources, believe me when I say that this is still an ongoing journey for me too. This is not a one and done type of concern. It's ever evolving and it just keeps coming back at every new level we get to. Just because there's no single obvious solution does not mean that there's no help here though. In my experience, I try to find a good enough for now solution around the ethical quandaries. Sometimes that works great, such as when I start a podcast and people love it and people listen 42,000 times in the first seven months. Sometimes I try something like offering a lot more scholarships and it turns out to not be sustainable. So it's this interesting balance of finding answers that are good enough for now and that feel okay emotionally while also making the math make sense. I wish I had more answers for you at this point. And yes, I could talk about this quite a bit more, but part of what I want to say is it's okay that this is an ever evolving journey. It's okay and totally makes sense if you are feeling stuck around money, capitalism, and your own values. One of the things that works is that good enough for now approach, which I want to acknowledge is a form of maybe not quite dissociation, but at least choosing not to focus on the full implications or knowledge of the total system at this very moment. What I mean by that is that in order for me to create something useful and sell it, I have to narrow my vision down to the actual people who are asking me for help and focus on what they actually need in the near future. If I zoom out to the big picture and try to solve for that, I'm not actually helping the people right in front of me. I'm not even using words that make sense to them. Not to mention that it feels incredibly frustrating because I can't see any actual progress on the huge systemic issues front. When I focus on the people reaching out to me and actually help them in the short term, that feeds a particular need I have around my ethics and values. Because I want to be helpful in a real life and practical way, and when I hear from people that their daily life is better because of me, it really keeps me going. So while that might not have an exact analog to your own work or life, I would ask, 
what does good enough for now to be able to step out of the ethical quagmire and into action look like in your life? And if you are able to figure that out for now and move forward, how might you actually be able to create something or help people or be an inspiration to someone else such that the world actually does become a better place? Because I bet there are ways you already have capacity to do that. And if you need support for external processing through all of that, I hope you have someone in your life who can hold that space for you. If not, sometimes just talking out loud helps or recording yourself talking or dictating into text on your device or journaling some form of externalizing this so you can reflect on it if that's what your brain needs. However that processing happens for you, I hope this is a useful direction. And if you want to hear more about that journey around money and ethics, I talked about that in episode 10, Money and Surviving Capitalism. Okay, that felt like a lot. (laughs) I can literally talk about this topic for hours, so I'm going to move on for now. The third big concern I hear a lot from ADHD folks, undervaluing the things that are easy for us while feeling a lot of guilt and shame about struggling with the things that are hard for us. This one is my own take on it because people almost never put it this way. The whole point is that we can't even perceive that we're undervaluing what we do because to us, it feels easy and not impressive and not worth much, which I'm sure you can tell ties back into concerns one and two, because if we don't understand the value of what we do, it's very hard to turn it into a sustainable career of some kind. Not that career is the only goal here, that's just sort of the through line I'm using. There are also many downstream effects of not recognizing and celebrating your own genius. It can make people feel that their output isn't that impressive or interesting. This can even lead to giving up on whole areas because we're not getting the feedback we need to realize how special we are in this area. This goes back to the awesome conversation with Andrew Simonet in episode 31 about building those feedback loops as artists. But this isn't just for artists. If we don't think our work is that interesting or impressive, it leads to another downstream effect of not talking ourselves up or self-promoting in the way that others do. This means we earn less money, we get fewer opportunities, and we have more trouble turning our achievements into tangible external results in the world, like better work, recognition, etc. And on top of that, If we give people weird vibes because of our neurotype or social or communication differences, it can feel like everyone else around us is getting awesome opportunities and our work is just being ignored. Another downstream effect is not realizing what we can do that others desperately need and want. For me, hearing from a mentor that in part my role in the world is to inspire people not necessarily to give them every answer to every practical question, really helped me with the podcast and with everything I help people with. This is one area where I have a bit more of an answer for you if any of this sounds familiar. Many people need an external voice to say things back to them. It can be really tough to figure this out on our own. If you have a teacher or mentor or friend or loved one who can have this following conversation well, here's what I recommend. Let the person know that you're trying to sort out what skills and talents you have that you might be overlooking or undervaluing. I recommend both recording the conversation and asking the other person to take notes so you can get their perspective. 
talk through or write out if this is via email, though I recommend a live conversation if possible, your history with work and or creative practice, and ways you've helped people. This can include free things such as volunteering. Make sure you also talk about what you've loved and what has felt easy and fun. Start turning this into a list of skills. Ask the other person for feedback on what stands out and how they might describe or add to your list of skills. Have them ask you questions to draw out more information. Go back and forth, adding to that list of skills, getting as specific as both of you can. Then get that person's opinion on what stands out as anything you might be undervaluing. I'll put that in the show notes if you want to grab it quickly. And if you don't have anyone who can have that conversation with you, I love doing this for ADHD folks. So let me know if you'd like a session with me to go over it. I'm really good at pulling out that kind of information and synthesizing it in a useful way that you can take and put into practical use in your life. Actually, if you'd like to use one of the New Year's intention setting sessions for that, I think that would be super fun. Those sessions are available to buy through the end of January. It turned out to be popular, so I'll probably do it again next year too. Okay, that's already kind of starting a transition to what I wanted to do at the end, which is to start pulling all of this together with a picture of how it looks in my life right now. I'm still very much in my own process of growth and change as always, so this is not about an end point of any kind, but I also hope that it's helpful to see an example of one way this can look for ADHD folks, especially since I did not have the resources that are available now, so I had to struggle through a lot of this on my own. It feels like hard-earned knowledge in a lot of ways. One thing I told myself would be useful is to share my own gifts and talents. I don't have a list in front of me, so I'll start with a funny story. I was trying to come up with a list like this recently from scratch, and I have that thing where my mind just goes blank when faced with that kind of question. My brain only offered that I'm really good at, quote, synthesizing information. A friend was like, oh my God, I'm angry on behalf of you that your brain is only offering you that. I'm heavily paraphrasing. Anyway, it's objectively silly that my brain could only think of synthesizing information when it comes to my deep skills. Now that I'm coming down to actually listing some of them to you, I'm getting super nervous and shy about it. And this is part of why I thought it might be useful, even with how much more comfort I've grown around visibility this year. It still feels super awkward to say good things about myself in a direct way. I want to tone it down to feel more safe. In my childhood, it was only safe to be visible through direct achievement, not just being awesome or having any latent skills that hadn't yet turned into something tangible. But I've also had a few people reach out in the last week to tell me how much a session or a conversation from a while back has changed their life. And it almost feels selfish of me to not be open and honest about how much I can help ADHD folks because I remember how hard it was to find the support I needed. And I actually am trained and experienced in the things that work for us. And through experimentation, I've combined things and made stuff up and it really is a unique skill set. So as I'm talking through that, when I remember that, it's actually calming down that nervous part of me a bit because it reminds me that even though it feels like I'm talking about myself, really what I'm saying is that I know how to help my own community in ways that are deeply meaningful and life-changing. And to pull back those concerns from before, me being able to offer that in an effective way is part of being able to do sustainable work and build a sustainable life 
that hopefully is going to allow me to buy health insurance for my partner later this year. Being able to see that pathway as a possibility and being able to keep working with that good enough for now ethical stuff for my own brain gives me so much hope because it feels possible to keep taking steps in that direction. I simply can't motivate my brain to take steps toward an end goal that doesn't align with my values. The other way I'm keeping my brain feeling safe enough right now is that I'm just going to focus on this slice of my work. I'm not going to think about my artistic side except as it ties in with this world of helping ADHD folks. And if you end up having that conversation I talked about before about undervalued strengths and skills, this is one way you can keep it feeling more safe for you to talk to someone else about it, is to focus on one area. So, okay, deep breath for me. Here are some of the gifts I bring to this world in this coaching, hypnosis, supporting ADHD community side of my work. Helping people feel deeply seen and understood in a way that provides healing. Creating enough safety through co-regulation that it's actually the norm at this point for people to cry a bit in our first conversation and they actually feel okay with that and it's again a healing experience in and of itself. There's probably a shorter way to say that. Holding my heart open in a vulnerable way so people can really feel that connection, sometimes without words, in a way that feels like medicine. That one's related to this next one and I don't know how to express this clearly. I'm a deeply connected and magical person, and it feels easy to access and pull out of thin air what's needed for a person in the moment, as long as I'm staying connected in that open and vulnerable way and not getting stuck in my own head trying to figure it out purely logically. I'm good at reading between the lines in a very particular way. It's not making neurotypical type assumptions, but rather reading small cues or patterns to be able to pull out deeper issues and insights. People often tell me that I've articulated something for them that they've been trying to put into words for a long time. I empower flexibility and sovereignty in others, both by being that myself and by encouraging people to try things and trust themselves. I'm very much myself, and I think that's its own gift that helps other people do that too. That can mean naturally starting to unmask, but it means a lot of other things too. The particular ways that I see patterns and synthesize information help me cut through seemingly complicated situations for people and see what's happening underneath, especially when we work together for a while and I know them well, and I can communicate that back in a useful way and envision potential next steps or at least help the person figure them out. I help people feel more hopeful. Okay, that's all I can stand to say in a row. I'm still growing my own capacity to celebrate not just my accomplishments, but myself and my internal skills. It still feels uncomfortable. And I know I'm going to have another round of feelings when editing this. But hey, I'm trying to model the messy, real-life parts of this, not just a shiny exterior. Also, hopefully hearing that list gives you a better sense of what I mean by a list of skills. It could be shorter concepts, but I'm also thinking of these deeper, more specialized skills and how they actually show up. So to pull all of that together, it helps my anxiety around ethics and building a sustainable future to reflect on my deep skills that directly help my community. I've kind of grown to hate the word value in the context of, quote, providing value as a service provider because it's so overused, but 
valuing my work not in a pure dollar value sense, but in the broader meaning of how it changes people's lives, it gives me a less self-centered approach. I always used to feel self-centered when thinking about myself, but it was helpful to realize that sometimes it's actually a gift to others to be clear about how I can help. And again, I'm sharing in the context of a small business, but I'm guessing there are equivalents in your life, even if you do something very different. How can it help others for you to be open about your interests and skills? How can it inspire other, maybe younger, neurodivergent people or people with other identities of yours to hear how you've figured out your own journey? Who needs the medicine that you know how to bring to the world because of your unique experiences and hardships? Those aren't questions we answer in a day, but they can help shape our lives in a meaningful way. And that's maybe another answer to that question of how we imagine a path forward. Because while I've talked a lot about the financial side of things recently because it's on my mind, this is also about the bigger question of our purpose, if we feel we have one, and how we create meaning out of our messy and meandering lives. One of the things that financial stability can do is to make money become more of a background issue that we don't think about as much. When you first experience that, it can be a really trippy shift. And I've experienced it a bit, but still have the big six-figure student loan debt sitting there. So I know there's another level of it I haven't experienced yet. But I wanted to tie this back to a potential ethical issue. If we can get to the point where the money isn't as much of a focus, it actually feels awesome for that part of us that just doesn't want to have to think about money. And it can open up a lot more time to think about these big questions of purpose and meaning. And for me, it gives me the brain space to be able to work on projects like this podcast and create free materials that are helping people every day. The other thing that pulls all of the things I've talked about today for me is how the community space, like your brain, touches on all of these. Well, it doesn't make much money, which I expected. It's not really meant to be a big moneymaker, but it's part of this larger ecosystem of building of resources for different phases of ADHD life and making space for those longer cycles of our processing and our cyclical needs for support. My favorite comment anyone's made in like, I just call it like in my head so far, and yes, I got permission to share this. I've only been here since yesterday, and I've never felt as understood as I do here. My heart just melted when I read that because it's very much what I was hoping to create. In the spirit of transparency and to tie everything together today, I want to share why I'm about to raise the sliding scale prices in Like Your Brain, and also to give everyone a chance to hop in there first if that lowest sliding scale amount makes the difference for you, because I get it. When I started Like Your Brain, it was to meet a need that people had expressed to me around community and being seen. It was also to provide something I thought people needed, a way to integrate and grow gently without working hard on something with a deadline. And it's doing that, which is awesome. But before we'd actually started and gotten real people in there, I had no idea how it was going to feel or how much time it was going to take or what people were actually going to ask for once it got going. So I put the original sliding scale between $7 and $45, which still put the high end lower than the only similar online community out there that I know of. Not that I based my prices on theirs. It was just the only specific metric I had. I guessed correctly that most people would choose the lowest number in the sliding scale. 
And also that would mean that my hourly rate would be well under the lowest amount I usually charge for anything, which again, totally fine because I planned for that. I came in knowing that it was worth it for me to build this space for at least a year, no matter whether I broke even or not, because the community aspect aligns so much with my values. Side note, my partner doesn't really get that part <laughs> given our joint financial goals, but that's okay. Now that like has taken shape and we're in the rhythm of at least three group calls a month, now that people are telling me how much it helps just to listen to the group coaching calls, even when they don't ask for anything themselves, now that people are saying it's the most seen and understood they've ever felt, it's feeling like a real thing now that has really clear benefits. And yes, side note, I know part of my job around it is to explain those benefits clearly to people who are the right fit for it. And this is such a funny meta conversation because part of what I'm trying to model transparently to you is how this works out in real life, in a small business, at this particular moment in time. I hope that's helpful. So with that vibrant community that's active every day in the Discord especially, with the great support available, not just from me, but from these other awesome people who can share their own thoughts and experience, it's clear to me that this is a space I will be committed to for a while, and I love that. In order for that to all make sense, to make the math make sense, and what it offers people, the prices will be going up to still very reasonable, but more sustainable to be able to continue for me to stay fully connected. Because let's be honest, I'm not just gonna do less, I'm loving it and I'm all in. The reason I'm sharing this a few days before it happens is that I wanna thank everyone who helped to shape the space and gave you time to get in there if money is the key factor for you. Because I really do want the space to be as accessible as possible. The plan is next Friday, January 26, 2024, I'll be roughly doubling the sliding scale prices. For now, I'm planning to leave the current tiers with everyone in them as is. So if pricing is really a factor, there's also an annual option that I think is 15% off. So roughly two months free. I think the way Patreon works is once the tier is no longer publicly available, you can't do the annual payment anymore. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think that's how it works. Part of the reason I'm giving people a week before raising the prices is that one of my main intentions for Like is that people can be in it long term and receive that deeper and longer term support for a tiny fraction of what it usually costs to be in a space like that or work directly with someone with my amount of training. And again, if price would be the main factor for you, but you want that long-term gentle support, that annual subscription right now for about $70 would be available through the morning of Friday, January 26th. It's such a lovely space. Right now, it's my favorite social place to be. It's partly feeding my feeling kind of done with social media because I'm getting so many of those needs met in the like community with a group of people who really get me. It's so nourishing to be able to pop in and see updates of what people are working on or questions about really specific advice, or of course, the pictures of animals, shout out to the birds conversation. This is so cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway. I started Like Your Brain to help other people, but I've been blown away at how healing it's already been for me. So thank you to everyone who's helped shape it in these first few months, and I look forward to seeing how it grows. One thing I've thought of is that part of why it's so awesome, I think we have about 40 people in there right now, and there's that number I've heard quoted of around 150 people where the human brain stops relating to a group in the same way. At the moment, there's no cap on who can join, but I'm guessing that as we pass that 100 mark, I'm going to need to make a decision about whether we need to handle things differently. 
One option would just be to cap the number of people who can be in there, which I think Patreon has an option for. No worries about that happening anytime soon. Just something I felt like sharing as it relates back to the whole, how do we actually build the damn thing and then live in it in a way that works for us conversation. Sometimes I feel like I'm really rambling when I talk about my own experiences in the way I did today. There's a little part of my brain that's like, ew, stop, don't do that. Just don't put this episode out or maybe go back and edit out some of the more personal stuff. And to validate my own experiences here, just like I do for other people, that's not just in my imagination. People have told me I'm too much for my entire life. I'm sure most business coaches would tell me not to talk about my random ideas about the future of my business ecosystem publicly because they might not happen and I should instead focus on selling or whatever. But following other people's frameworks has not worked for me and I'm kind of done with that. What feels good to me and thus makes a livable work life for me is to be transparent and give y'all a peek into what might be coming later. I appreciate that heads up when I'm thinking about buying something and it turns out it's about to change and I want to get in there now. And at the same time, my brain has this really strong aversion to using anything that feels like a sales tactic. So of course, now I'm just in this spiral of laughing at myself in the cyclical nature of it all. It's so easy to get stuck in that kind of spiral. And I'm in this funny moment where for some reason, I'm telling you this out loud and publishing it and hoping that my transparency will work for the people who really want to stay in my world. Even if this feels a little embarrassing for me, and even though I'm still working on my own comfort with being observed, I get the sense that the specific examples are part of what really helps you apply it in your own life. Even if your situation's quite different, you can draw the connections between what I'm saying and what I'm trying by pulling back the curtain a bit and showing you my thought process as things evolve. You can take that like a tool to apply in building your own life, or that's my hope anyway. Let me wrap up by saying that we're all in the same boat. By that, I mean that we all feel like our own experience is incomprehensibly complicated and messy and that other people seem to have it figured out much better. That's just because we have vastly more information about our own interior I know that intellectually, but coaching other gifted ADHD folks has really shown me just how much we've landed on coping mechanisms like perfectionism and shame and dissociation because there's just so much information inside our interior experience. It's deeply overwhelming to notice and feel so much. It's overwhelming to wrap our brain around even starting to try to sort it all and organize it into something understandable and actionable. Even when we manage to do that somewhat, more information and more feelings and more scary stuff in the world is coming in all the time. Getting some space from that, creating some pauses of safety really works. And if you need help doing that because the coping mechanisms are kicking in too hard, for example, when you try to pause and rest, you just end up dissociating instead. There's nothing wrong with you. Your brain and body are trying to handle a difficult situation without enough support or scaffolding. What I can say from my own healing journey is that not only does every step toward wholeness and integration feel better, it also opens up capacity to be able to give back and help others. Being able to consistently provide an unshaming co-regulation to folks feels amazing to me as someone who needed a shit ton of co-regulation support in my life. Oh, and by the way, if you are looking for really chill support via co-regulation that isn't fixing or coaching, 
I know someone doing that and it's a really awesome service. So let me know if you want more info on that and I'll connect to you. And they're a great example of someone who has really done the personal work and is still actively working on their own healing and wholeness. Now they're at this beautiful place where they can simultaneously keep doing that and offer this nourishing co-regulation practice to help people center in a way that does not trigger some of the stuff that traditional meditation can for neurodivergent folks. That's very much how I feel. I'm still very much in my own process. And also I've been constructing something as I go that's helpful. There's an aspect of that that gives me a sense of purpose and meaning in my own experiences. Not that it excuses any trauma that happened, but it feels good to make something beautiful out of it. That's also how the arts saved my life, but that's a story for another day. Thank you for being here. Thank you for reaching out and sharing your stories. Thank you for continuing to move forward, even when it feels impossible and even when it feels like you're being sucked backwards. I promise that your effort is meaningful to the organic ecosystem that you're a part of. I promise that your love and compassion and commitment to ethics is making a difference, even if you can't see it right now. And I promise that if you stay on this strange journey, you will look back and be amazed at what has grown on the path behind you and at the beings who are nourished by it. You're amazing. Thanks for being you. And you can do it, whatever it is for you right now. It might take some help and support, and that's okay. But I really do believe in you. I was such a fucking mess for so long. (laughs) And then I have people telling me they feel behind when literally when I was their age, I was like injuring myself from crying so hard and just felt so hopeless. If that version of me with the shitty childhood and the not knowing what autism really was and the very little support could survive and end up being okay, I know you can too. It won't look the same, but I have a feeling it could end up being better than you expect. The annoying thing about the journey is that journeys are all about transitions and transitions can be difficult. What can you plug into today that grounds you into a sense of what is right here, right now? What helps you feel centered in this reality? Because it's always going to be difficult to imagine the path ahead and change is always happening. But when we can find grounding in this moment and feel safe enough in this moment, it can provide that anchor that makes the future feel doable. If the future sometimes doesn't feel doable, thank you for staying. We need you. You matter. Thanks, y'all. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for being here and taking a moment for yourself. I hope the episode sparks some ideas or possibilities for your own journey. If you're looking for gentle ongoing support, I invite you to join the Like Your Brain community. It's a non-hierarchical and no-pressure space to share our lived experiences together and learn from each other. Ask authentic questions, share your own wisdom, and be a part of building a safer space for folks with identities that are often marginalized. And if you're not yet ready to be seen in a group space, we've all been there, you can join the podcast support tier, which has a private podcast feed with some of the learnings from Like Your Brain and additional podcast content, so you can absorb on your own terms and timeline. We're here whenever you're ready. The link is in the show notes or at patreon.com slash Mattia. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash M-A-T-T-I-A. Have a great week.